0: There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm really excited uh, to talk with our guest today. She is an absolutely amazing marketer and an amazing leader uh, with over a decade of experience in education, marketing, and sales. And she actually created and led the Connected uh, Conference for several years. She oversees currently all uh, aspects of marketing at her current company where she has ascended the ranks over the last 10 years all the way to CMO. So she's currently CMO of EAB. She is Leah Davidson. Welcome to the show, Leah. Thanks. Thanks for
1: having me. Excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. So excited to have you. Um, we have tons to talk about today, and I want to be cognizant of uh, of your time, of course, and you know our audience is all about secrets. So why don't we start off? Just tell us what one of your best-kept uh, secrets to success in marketing has been over the years.
1: Sure. Um, it sounds so conspiratorial. Um, I'm, I'm happy to share one of mine, though. I've actually, um, over my career, um, reflected on a bit of a framework um, mm-hmm. for how to think about and how to bring up marketing talent. Um, and I call this the marketer's compass. Um, so the concept is, is I think marketers today need to be able to operate in a number of distinct planes, if you will. So imagine a compass: north, south, east, west. Yeah. I think there's parallels for each of those um, directions. So on the y-axis, if you think about it, um, I think great marketers are able to vacillate between vision setting, what I call the clouds, and being in the trenches, in the absolute details and weeds of whatever work they are doing. So. Think about the weeds of copywriting, um, the weeds of data analysis, um, the inside of marketing technology. You have to be able to be at five feet, but then on the next day or the next hour, go back up to 100,000 feet and set a vision, define a brand, um, push or pull an organization uh, through innovation. Um, So I think the north and south of the marketer's compass, um, both are equally necessary.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. On the other axis, the x-axis, if you will... Um, think about East and West, Um, I think about left and right brain thinking. Um, And even at the beginning of my career, one of the reasons why I was drawn to marketing was the idea that, hey, I can do um, deeply analytical work and be in math and in numbers and in systems design, um, but also be super creative, whether that's coming up with a campaign or writing. I've always loved to write or designing something from scratch. I think it's a left and a right brain uh, brain discipline. So um, that's kind of one of my secrets is this idea of the marketer's compass, and I think that the best marketers are really able to um, go back and forth and up and down and across the the
0: compass, if you will. I love that. I mean, we like frameworks in general, uh, but I absolutely love that. I love the. Um, well, I mean, I hadn't heard that right before just now. Uh, I
1: mean, I made it up. <laughs>
0: so. But I love the like the directionality of it like once you said hey north and south is like 30,000 feet versus deep down in the weeds i immediately fell in love i was i didn't know what left and right was going to be but it makes perfect <laughs> sense to be left and left and right brained um so i absolutely love that framework and i can see a lot of applications for it but how do you use it like do you use that more for recruiting and like growing talent or do you use that to sharpen your own skill set by saying like, Hey, I haven't been, I haven't been down at the five foot level for a minute. Like, let me log into Marketo and see what, you know, see what's going on in there.
1: A couple of ways. I mean, one is definitely when I'm thinking about senior marketing talent um, and just thinking about, you know, who the next leaders are going to be and just evaluating strengths and opportunities and how to coach people and where people might need to grow. Um, So that's one way, but I also find it. An interesting way of just on reflecting on um, on the busyness and on the kind of different types of work that I'm doing in any given day. I mean, within the first three hours of a morning, I could have been in all four of those quadrants in four different meetings. Um, and so I think it's just an interesting way to kind of step back and say, um, is the marketing discipline for me? Um, and if you love each of those four quadrants, you're probably going to be successful. And it doesn't mean you can't be successful if you are a superstar in one or two of them. Um, but at some point you may need to evaluate, um, growing into some of the other quadrants. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I see. So, um, with your own teams, do you, would you say that you tend to like kind of round people's skill sets out around that compass, or are you more of a believer in like double clicking on your strengths and don't worry so much about your weaknesses?
1: A little more of the latter. Like I have some extremely talented marketers on my team that are talented in different, in very, very different ways, and they complement each other really well, and they work together yeah. really well. So if you're thinking about a high-performing team or a cross-functional project or initiative, um, you could have someone who's great in the east and great in the west coming together, and that's going to be an awesome project or initiative. So I don't always, you know, think about hey, everyone has to have all four, but I do think that they are. Um, kind of the keys to successful marketing in in parts, even if you're pulling different people together.
0: Wow. I'm I'm thinking about this framework, Leah, and it's like almost meta because (laughs) you could apply it to an individual or to a team.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Um, totally.
0: We use the DISC assessment here, uh, like a personality profiler. I'm familiar. Yeah. And so when you uh, that's basically just one of these personality tests, and you can take it, and it will tell you, you know, your your characteristics and your communication styles. Uh, but we have a consultant that we hire that, like once every couple years, basically everybody will do it, and he'll tell us how to how to read it. But he also plots everybody. Yeah, you've been through this exercise, like yeah. the, the through multiple team.
1: multiple versions and different expressions of these tests
0: yes but it reminds cool. me of this a lot because there's there's one group view which I think is uh is more of the values I think it's more of the values like you want to see clusters with like people in the same place values wise you know like if it's a utilitarian I think they use for kind of like performance focused like if you like having a lot of those types of folks, having a cluster in, in those areas is good, but there's another area of that circle where having variety is is better. Yeah. So I can see that being really useful for marketing leaders just in terms of like evaluating their own teams and plotting it out because in a perfect world, you could, you could always hire that uh, individual that is sort of unicorn-like and can be high and low and left and right at the same time. But at the very least, you want those skills present on your team. Right. So I guess you probably do that.
1: Well, you know, I think I, I've evolved to reaching sort of a way to articulate this framework. I didn't have the I didn't necessarily have the language um, around the idea um, for years. I, I think I've I've had the ideas in my head, but not the language and not the metaphor. Um, but I think so, and I think that um, high performing teams have so many distinct individuals in it. and I also think it matters what tenure and what level you're at in an organization. When you're just starting in something, you need to be really gifted and a really gifted executor at that one thing that you're doing. and then over time you grow into other things and into managing and leading people. Um, and so again, I think uh, it kind of it, it has a lot of different applications and um, and for me, I do like to think about senior talent um, through this lens.
0: <clears throat> that this is one of the coolest frameworks I've ever heard about, and I'm not just saying that. Like I've, I
1: well, you you heard it here first. If I ever write a book,
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say I and think the there's DM a that. book here, <laughs> Leah. I think you could make the you could make the disk assessment for marketers. <laughs> like there's a whole business plan here.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: Let's partner up. Let's do it as a side <laughs> hustle.
1: <laughs> I need to find a few free minutes in the day before
0: I know, that happens. Right, so. you're like the busiest person in the world. So let's talk about EAB a little bit. Um, I, I'm i slightly familiar with it just because like, we know Vista fairly well, and we work with a lot of Vista companies. Um, but I see that you've been there for a long time. It looks like you were brought on as head of marketing, and you were recently made CMO around six months ago per LinkedIn. So congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that. that that's First, not quite the full history, but um, I have been here for 11 years this, this time around. I was at the predecessor company, the advisory board, which many people in the DC area will know, um, as my first job out of college. So there was some familiarity with the, the leaders at, at the company um, from when I first started working and took took a pause um, for a significant period of time and then um, came back. And actually, I came back to launch a product as a salesperson, which was a failed experiment. Um, I'm not the world's best salesperson, but uh, that's a story for a different time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, so talk to us so far around your, um, since you've been CMO, has it, has it been a big change in your role or is it like pretty much many of the same responsibilities with just a new title? Like how's the last six or so months been? Um,
1: it, it's Again, it's more of the latter. I've been in the, you um, know, kind of leading the marketing organization for a little over three years now. Um, So I took the reins as the head of marketing um, without the CMO title um, right before the pandemic. So it was um, little did I know then, but it was an interesting time to inherit um, the organization. I already led uh, two or three of the sub teams within marketing at that time um, and and then assumed the role. So it's been about three years in the role and um, the shift was mostly in title, not in responsibility, Um, but it's it's certainly been a wild and, and fun three years um, in, in the job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, if you think about the recent past, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot I'm sure that has happened in your business, like since the pandemic. But, um, if you think about just like the last, you know, six months or so, I'm curious about what's really working for you guys.
1: So in the, I would say a couple of things. One, um, yeah, so let me let me back up. EAB is an education. We're one of the leading education companies. We serve about 2,000 schools from grade school to grad school. Um, the types of solutions we bring to our customers range from technology to research um, to outsource marketing and enrollment solutions. Um, so we have a whole bunch of different solutions um, to a whole bunch of different audiences within oh, education. Wow. Um, so that's, I, I guess, kind of foundationally thing one. Um, thing two is uh, our origins of as a company, are in best practice research. Um, so we're from the overall company tree of corporate executive board and then advisory board, um, and we are the latest uh, sort of expression of of that company family of companies. Um, uh-huh. Which means that we have research at the core of our DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I bring that up is um, we are a thought leadership forward marketing organization, and I sit in sort of a privileged position um, because there is so much research and insight and knowledge inside of the company um, that we we are able to lead in our marketing with thought leadership and with insight. So that traditionally worked, and it worked exceptionally well through the pandemic when um, audiences needed true insight and needed information um, to move through a period of uncertainty. Um, But that has always worked and continues to work. I think something in the last six months that um, I'm excited about is um, after two years of not having in-person events and not having in-person engagement, um, we've been able to return to in-person events in a successful way. And um, I think we had to get our muscle memory back a little bit. And we've had to redesign playbooks and um, go to that five-foot level and look at all the operational details to get back to a place where we can serve um, serve, serve above and beyond what's expected and bring um, kind of a discipline of service excellence to all of those events um, but in the last three to six months, we've been able to come back to that place and really see some exceptional results and productivity from the events channel.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. It looked like what well, I saw on your LinkedIn, it looked like you had just done uh, connected for the first time since the pandemic, like roughly four months ago or so.
1: Yeah. And it was amazing. The energy of having, um, you know, over a thousand people together in one place, many of whom used to go to this event year after year. And then we made it virtual, obviously, during. The pandemic, but just to have that energy um, and the hugs and the experience—all the you know, there's 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 a lot of things that are lost in in virtual. There were benefits to having virtual events, and obviously they scale faster and you can reach lots of people. Um, but there's something that's really unique about being in person, and it was awesome to to see the team bring everybody back together for Connected this year.
0: That's awesome. Is it mostly your customers that go there, or is it pro- mostly prospects or?
1: customers, 10% prospects. Um, Oh, that's nice. We bring some of the people that are in pipeline to the event and recruit some, some prospects as well, but it's mostly a customer event. Yeah.
0: I bet you any prospect that goes to that event is like, where do I sign?
1: Well, that's what we hope for. (laughs) It's not quite that easy, but.
0: Yeah. Um, Cool. Are you, uh, this is sort of a random question, but Mm -hmm. you made me think of it because you were um, doing these events for your customers do you guys do customer advisory boards or are you familiar with customer advisory boards?
1: I am familiar. Um, we have a couple of, I guess a couple of versions of, um, programs like that. Um, most notably, we don't call it a customer advisory board. We actually call our customers partners, but, um, that's, that's neither here nor there, I guess. Um, within our student success business, we have, um, an advisory council that we've been doing for, I guess, the better part of a decade. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a it's a great way to get feedback and have really d- deep relationships with your customers and um, understand understand at a deeper level what their pain points are and where they want you know solutions and to go and um, just get advice in that sort of deep relationship way.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, that was just a random tangent. But back to the events. I'm curious. Um, what do you guys look at like like post event to say, hey, this was a really really good event. This was a medium good event. This was a poor event. Like, what are the metrics that you're looking at?
1: So it depends on the type of event. Um, obviously, every event has um, a different set of objectives and a different set of KPIs, um, and so it kind of depends on um, which type we're looking at. We have um, a rigorous approach to setting KPIs at EAB, and we look at all the metrics. But um, for something like Connected, which again is is you know mostly a partner event, um, we look at a GPA, um, which is how we score the quality of a meeting. Um, we obviously look at attendance rates. We look at penetration rates of that customer base. So how many of our customers sent at least one person to the event? Mm-hmm. Um, we look qualitatively at all of the, the feedback and the scores. Um, and then we look down, downstream at sort of the, the long-term impact on renewals and on um, kind of overall customer satisfaction. And then for our prospect events, we um, post event we look at a bunch of things and most immediately we look at are they setting up sales conversations um B M Q L or everybody's funnel is different so i try to stray stray from industry specific terms but um are are these events setting up sales conversations effectively are they influencing pipeline the generating pipeline um so all the standard kpis but um, on top of that we look at the quality of the event and the gpi um, every time to make sure that the content is resonating and the message is resonating and that you know, we look at service score too we get hundred percent on our service score we want to over deliver on the experience
0: of each event mm-hmm. got it so this one was a good one comparatively
1: this past one was a, one was a great one um they, I think they've all been great um but this past one was great yeah
0: people are excited to get back out and to meet they are
1: there yeah they,
0: myself included like likewise
1: I if I if I never had to get on another zoom again I wouldn't honestly
0: Right. <laughs> Yeah. Are you guys back in the office? I know you're there today, but is are, are the teams back?
1: Um, we're back pers- partial weeks. Um, so it kind of depends on what day of the week. We're pretty busy on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and um, you'll get a smattering of folks on other days of the week, but um, it's definitely a hybrid model and it works, it works really well for most people. I think it gives people flexibility, um, but also ways to engage and develop relationships. I can't imagine what it would have been like to start your career in a a hybrid or a virtual environment. I know. That makes me sound old.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it would have been really challenging, honestly, especially, yeah, being like, because I can, I'm thinking back to my, you know, sort of first few years as a marketer and being around people and being able to just say, Hey, come help me. Like I would be like, you know, yeah doing something with CSS that was way over my head and just break a landing page completely. And it was, you know, it was slated to go live later in the day. Yeah, (laughs) It's like, help. And I would just like run over to the developers and they would, they would help. And I would like, I would basically thank them up and down and buy them lunch.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I have, I have some people on my team who are amazing at sort of replicating that experience in a virtual way through Slack and, you know, taking, on-demand videos where you can see the screen and you're pointing at things. And it almost is like that experience of getting in-person help. But personally, I don't think anything beats just kind of standing in someone's cube and talking about it. <laughs> but again, yeah. now it's not old.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's incredibly hard now as a leader too, um, because I historically had been a huge fan of the management by walking around you know, Mm -hmm. just like strolling the halls and the floors and just hearing things and talking to people. Yeah. That was like really the primary way that we would stay connected. And God bless my partner now who is like amazing at doing that in a digital way. Mm -hmm. Like he's amazing at, you know, and many of our leaders now are just great at like monitoring the Slack channels and monitoring Asana and kind of like doing that in a digital way. Um, how do you how do you sort of stay connected with your team in a way that is like basically that you look well, have you found anything that comes close to sort of management by walking around?
1: Honestly, no. I, I I don't think so. Um I think holding ourselves to that standard in a in a hybrid environment is pretty hard. Um, yeah. but you know, I think having having really great And well, like intentional, well-designed time with Um, teams—we call them in days—is really important. So we we try to do four all-marketing in days each year, two in person, two virtual, Um, and then I bring my leadership team together in person four times a year. We call it Spring Fest, Fall Fest, Winter Fest. Um, I was got a name for everything marketing, but anyway. um, So you know, I think that, that, and those times have been, I would say, you know. Triple tri- triple the the productivity um, of that same group being on Zoom for call it ninety minutes and trying to brainstorm around big problems and you know innovation. It's really hard to do that kind of stuff over Zoom, even if you have the same people in the mix. So um, I do value a well intent like a an intentionally designed in person time. But now with with everybody living everywhere, um, you really have to make the most of that time because people are flying in and. know, how to respect people's calendars and
0: so pre-pandemic, was your entire team local to the DC area or did you have a lot of
1: majority. Not not entire, but majority. Yeah. Yeah, And then also during the pandemic, we we did seven or eight acquisitions in a in a period of of two years. And so um we acquired a bunch of teams whose original home bases were in other places. So for a multitude of reasons, we are now all over the country and everywhere.
0: Yeah. I see. Yeah. So um, let's talk about challenges a little bit. I'm curious about, you know, some of the challenges that you guys are facing and I would love it if we could use your framework and you could tell me like high level challenges in the weed challenges, left brain challenges, right brain challenges.
1: <laughs> Throwing it back at me. Um, so I think the, honestly, probably the one that's that's most top of mind right now for me is it's getting harder to secure sales conversations. Um, and and thus to, you know, build strong pipelines and um, drive the the bookings targets that we need to drive. Um, there's so much noise out there, and I think it's it's just getting harder and harder to break into accounts and you have to um, you have to be extremely persistent. you have to have all the channels at your disposal. You have to multi-thread an account, um, and that's a lot of things for BDrs to handle, um, and yeah. it's a lot of things to have to do in a given week. And I think it's it's hard when you're facing sort of declining returns on the same level of activity. Yeah. Um, and and that's you know that's something that I think many organizations are facing. That's not specific to us. Um, so that's that's a big one. And thankfully, we have people that are really gifted. Um, on the team at learning new technologies quickly and deploying them quickly and pivoting. Um, But that's something that's on my mind. And I think the other one I would mention is just like sales cycles are getting longer. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the book, Jolt. Everyone at EAB has been reading Jolt um, by Matt Dixon. He wrote The Challenger Sale. Um, So this is all about um, how customer prospect indecision is on the rise. Um, It's a really cool book. It drew on a study of like two and a half million sales conversations um, they were analyzed and it looked at what the highest performing sales were doing to overcome customer indecision. Yeah. Um, and anyway, it's, it's a very interesting read. So on the, cool. the marketing side of things, securing sales conversations is harder. And on the sales side of things, sales cycles are longer. And when we're losing, it's not really to competitors so much as to no decision
0: yeah.
1: um, or to delay decision. Um, so those are kind of two things that are on, on, our collective commercial minds over here.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely check that book out. Jolt. I've not, uh, I'm not familiar with it though. I am familiar with challenger sales. So we'll, yeah, we'll uh, It's, I'll check it's good. Out. There's
1: also, you know, there's a podcast and, you know, articles that if you don't want to read the whole 300 pages or whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll maybe do both, but
1: yeah, yeah we're seeing,
0: we're seeing some <laughs> of the same issues. Uh, and I'm curious, what do you chalk it up to? Do you think it's like a, um economy, like a recessionary it's, type of a thing?
1: I think it's par- partially the economy. I mean, the book has a lot to say about the, the root causes, but there's a great quote. Um, it might mangle it a little bit, but uh, customers fear more the bad things that happen when they do something than the bad things that happen if they don't do something. Eh. Um So people are ultimately more comfortable missing out than they are messing up. Like that's like conceptually what the book is about. Um, And, and so obviously that has implications for product marketing and messaging and how you design sales decks and pitch decks um, and how you kind of reduce, reduce the fear of decision um, Mm -hmm. in the sales process.
0: Cool. Are you able to share anything that you guys are doing there specifically?
1: Um, I would say th- the thing the thing that's worth, worth sharing is that it's not just the sales team reading this book, it's the marketing team reading this book. Mm-hmm. This is a book about sales and sales cycles, but um, I would have said my second secret to success is I believe really deeply in sales and marketing alignment and in marketing leaders understanding and empathizing with salespeople um, and having deep relationships in the sales organization. Um, so I'd say the thing that we're doing is having the marketing team read this book. Um, we did a number of trainings on the material in the book and are doing kind of workshops and applying the lessons from this into our messaging.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I agree with you in terms of the empathy between marketing and sales. And I think you have a unique perspective on it. Having been in sales, um, well, uh,
1: failed, failed in sales. But then I well, did sales engineering for a couple of years, so that makes was, it even easier to be, to be empathetic, yeah. right? Yeah, on the road with with sales for two years.
0: Yeah. No, that's awesome. All right. Well, um, that has been really interesting. <laughs> I'm, so let's transition. I'm curious that's- just to hear your like, basically your abbreviated life story and some of the some of the experiences that have shaped you. So, like, take us back to Leah the kid and just kind of take us through sort of high school college. I know you landed at the current company shortly after, but what were some of the transformative experiences along the way?
1: How do I do this succinctly? Um, all right. So I grew up, thing one is I grew up in the West coast, um, and in Northern California. Um, and I, to free spirited hippie parents. Um, and so I was uh, a free spirited child, a lot of art, a lot of outdoor stuff. Um, And, and that was great. Uh, so I, however, I also have always wanted to do the thing that hasn't been done. Um, and so, and kind of take the, the unpopular path, um, which is not that this was that unpopular, but when I started looking at colleges, I decided I'll probably end up in Northern California, which didn't end up being true, but I assumed at the time that I would return. Um, so I said, I'll apply to colleges up and down the East coast and, um, ended up going to Georgetown, um, right here in DC, which was, uh, great and um, did an internship with the corporate executive board, which is how I ended up at the advisory board after college. Um, so there you go. Um, so that was kind of how I arrived onto the East Coast. Um, and I think because I had the background that I did and the childhood that I did, I ended up being extraordinarily pragmatic in my decision making um, when it came to college. So I double majored, I did a, a Spanish and business major, which in retrospect is so boring. Like, why I didn't study art history or um, you know, some some cross discipline uh, something. I I kind of regret that, but anyway. Um. So, anyway, very pragmatic approach to choosing a major. I waited tables for four years in college and bartended, um. And so I I partially paid my way through, and um. I think that was formative for sure. I worked forty hours a week, um, yeah. And it was a great experience. And as everybody always says, waiting tables um has a lot of applications later in life, for sure, Sure. being in the service industry. So that was that. And I spent two great years at the advisory board. And then I um, followed a boy to Cincinnati um, and had a great, great marketing job um, with a startup inside of a bigger company for three years, um, Mm -hmm. where I got to run um, student recruitment for a diversity leadership program. So we designed these great programs for students of diverse background. And I was responsible for recruiting all the students um, and matching them to corporate sponsors. It was a super fun job. And we also just... It was a five-person team. And we just ran the business ourselves. So that was very cool. Um, and then I went to business school. Uh, oh. So I decided that um, I wanted to broaden, broaden my exposure a little bit. Went to UVA, um, to Darden. And um, unlike most of my peers who chose big firm consulting and investment banking and CPG if they were in marketing, um, I decided I had a passion for education and I wanted to go to an education startup and I was stubborn about that. It was 2009. It was a terrible time to get a job, mm. um, but put my foot down, found an education startup, and, um, which was subsequently acquired by Blackboard. So that was kind of the lead up all the way through prior to coming to EAB.
0: I gotcha. Okay. So you were with, you were kind of with EAB or corporate advisory, uh, Like in college, you had an internship there. I had an internship
1: at the corporate executive board, which exposed me to... There were two different companies at the time, corporate executive board and advisory board. The internship exposed me to the advisory board. So when I was looking for a job after graduating college, which was also a terrible time to graduate and try to get a job, that was 2001, um, because I was familiar with the family of companies, I ended up at the advisory board and uh, did two years in the marketing and sales department there. You
0: know, that's really interesting how you kind of started there as one of your first gigs and then you went and experienced and then came back eventually. I know. That's really cool. I have some questions about that, but one of the things that jumped out, you mentioned that you uh, regretted uh, not doing like an art history major or something like that. Um, Are there any other things that you can think of that maybe you don't regret, like that's a pretty strong word, but that you would do differently in retrospect?
1: In terms of my career specifically, yeah, I don't know. I mean, hindsight's hindsight's twenty twenty. Um, it's kind of hard to say. I did, like, I did flirt with big firm consulting coming out of business school, but I just didn't think that my heart would have been in it, um, and I wasn't sure I could be passionate about it. So I think that was probably the right decision for me. Um, so I'm not so sure, but but I. But a piece of advice that I do give people and something that I think I did well is I always tell people, if you can um, take some risks and explore the adjacencies of the career that you want to do, you're going to be better at whatever it is you're doing. So my two examples of that are when I um, was offered a job at the startup right after Darden. Uh, They offered me two different jobs. They offered me the marketing manager job, and they offered me the sales operations job. Like RevOps, right? Um, And I kind of took a look at both offers. They were equivalent compensation, and um, and I chose the sales operations job. So that's something I haven't done, and I want to go see what that's all about. Mm-hmm. And I basically spent a year just in the the dark depths of Salesforce and in reporting. Um, and and that has made me a better marketer. Um, and it yeah. made me more fluent in how that core system works. Um, even in you know for points in time when I wasn't using the system. And then the second example is when I came back. To the advisory board, and they offered me a job as the launch salesperson for a new product. Um, and I told them I was like, I'm not going to be very good at this. And I was right, but um, it's neither here nor there. Uh, I did spend that, that next two years on the road. Um, and that was the byproduct of choosing the thing that I was not sure about and that was not my core skill set. Um, and both of those things have made me a much better marketer than I would have been if I had tried to stay on the straight path the whole time. So that's, yeah. that's not a direct answer to your question, but it is a piece of advice that I give people.
0: No, that's, that's good advice. That's definitely good advice. And I think that especially for younger people and especially for marketers or aspiring marketers to get a taste of sales or even sales ops and rev ops, like, I, I think that can be hugely helpful. Cause like, I'm just thinking back on my own journey. And which started as a salesperson and then came into marketing. And so I've always just like, like a question that, uh, that some marketers don't think to ask. It's like, cool, we got 30 conversions. Well, like, let me see the form submission data. Like, where is it? It's in Salesforce. Like, yeah. And so. Like unless somebody has that experience of like digging through the depths of Salesforce, they don't really know how the form submission data comes in or what hidden fields get pushed along with it and what have you. you gotta be in the
1: weeds, weeds of the systems, weeds of
0: the data. Weeds in the systems, yeah. <laughs> I definitely uh, I, I enjoy a little bit of time in the southern hemisphere there. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool, Leah. Well, this has been awesome. Um, I want to be cognizant of your time. We've just got one last thing to do, which is the lightning round where okay. I ask you just a couple of quick questions and you give me your shoot from the hip answer. Okay. okay. You ready? I'm ready. Question number one. I think I know the answer to this, but if you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be?
1: How would you know the answer to this?
0: Because <laughs> I think it's, I think it's,
1: Oh, think you think I would, your- you think I'm gonna say I'm gonna write a book. Okay. Um, well maybe. Uh the other the other side hustle is I've always I've always imagined opening a like coffee shop wine bar. Um so that is totally far field from, from what I am doing today. But yeah, I love the communal, the communal energy and the artistic energy and just like having a place to go. And um, I always have had my favorite places. This was probably informed. My first four jobs were in coffee shops, but
0: I've always dreamed of opening my own, So maybe one day. Cool. Very cool. <laughs> I was not expecting that.
1: No. If you, if you had anticipated that, that would have been weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so question number two, um, top two or three most influential reads or authors.
1: From a marketing perspective.
0: Mm, anything think, that comes to mind. I anything think- that's been really influential for you.
1: Um. All right. Well, I'll give a couple a couple that are top of mind. It's a little bit of recency bias here, um, but on the marketing front, uh, there's a company out of Chicago called Orbit Media, and um, seen their founder speak a couple of times. And their blog, which is on content marketing um, and digital marketing, is one of the best I've ever read. They practice what they preach. They give you the most practical in the weeds advice, but they explain how things work and why it matters. Um, I yeah. think they just do a really exceptional job. Almost every time I read their blog, I forward it to someone on the team and say, Hey, read this. Are we doing this? <laughs> etc." Um, yeah. another, another current source from, a, again, a marketing perspective is we recently partnered with Sixth Sense and, um, I think their resources and their, um, their perspectives on marketing, but I think they're at the forefront of thinking about and talking about marketing. Um, mm-hmm. And I love, I love all the content they put out there. The book that um lot and me couldn't um, probably mispronounce her name a little bit. Um, yeah. No forms, no spam, no cold calls yep. uh, is a, a must do read for any, um, any marketer today. Um, it's exceptional. So, um, but it's just their blog, their blogs, their, their content's awesome. Um, nice. So those are two that come to mind on the marketing front.
0: Very good. All right, cool. And, uh, and we will include links to those in the show notes. And then third is, uh, what do you do to avoid burnout or how do you blow off steam?
1: Yeah. Um, how do I blow off steam is different than how do I avoid burnout, but, um, I'm a runner and, um, I picked up my pandemic copy was tennis. So I'm not very good at it, but it's like my favorite hour of the week and it is a great way to blow off steam. Um, and I'm getting better slowly.
0: It's so much fun. I love tennis. It's so
1: it's so much fun. Um, I'm I'm sad that that it took me this many decades and years to arrive at tennis. Anyway, um, I think in terms of avoiding burnout, um, I have a lot more to say on that topic, which I we don't have time for. But um, I think you have to first of all, you have to manage your calendar. It will manage you, especially in a matrix organization. Um, You have to be extraordinarily picky about what meetings you take and what you say yes to, and I always advise my teams, don't fall into the trap of more meetings means you're more important. Um, in actuality, like space in your calendar is the way that strategic work and strategic thinking gets done. So like, do not fall into the meetings trap. Um, and then the other thing is you have to give yourself grace and you have to enable... You have to give your teams grace and you have to empower your teams to do the same with their people. Because it's one thing if I believe that people should just take care of themselves and I believe in a you know, whole person and in mental wellness but if that doesn't trickle down to my entire organization then I'm not doing a good job empowering my leaders to carry that same message down into the organization mm. um and there are so many people that are that are dealing with burnout and um and mental mental health and mental wellness issues right now so I think this this is an important topic to me
0: yeah maybe we'll do another episode just on that
1: I could I could talk about that one for a while. <laughs>
0: Cool, Leah. Well, this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for your time here today. I think the the listeners are going to love this one for sure. Um, If you like this, uh, please drop us a like, a comment, or share this with a friend. And Leah, let everybody know if they want to learn more about you or EAB, where you would direct them.
1: Um, to learn more about me, you can can find me on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find, Leah Davidson. And um, if you want to learn more about EAB, EAB, Check us out, eab.com.
0: That's a great domain. I we're like
1: in the it. middle of we're we're in the middle of redesigning our website. Um, new one should be launched the next month or two. EBD. So
0: nice, yeah. cool, Leah. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time here today. You enjoy the rest of the day. All right, you too. Thanks we'll talk to you soon. soon. All right, bye. Bye-bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders. dot This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performance marketing slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days.